There is a shift in John's day in the kingdom that uh, was going to take place and did take place. And uh, we want to look at that tonight and um, just see how it applies to us and how we can apply it to our life. Matthew chapter 3, and we want to read verses 1 through 3. In those days, John the Baptist uh, came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Amen. Make his paths straight. The primary message of John the Baptist was that of repentance. In the Greek, when you look at the word repentance, it literally means to think differently or to reconsider or to change your mind. So the kingdom of heaven literally is one mind shift away. It is changing your mind uh, about who God is and what, what God is in your life. Repentance uh, brings us, when we repent and we turn and we change our minds and we accept Christ as our Savior and Lord, repentance gives us access into the kingdom of God. And when John the Baptist would say the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he was declaring it is within your reach you can grasp it. You, you presently are, is, it is presently available to you. It's not something that's uh, a pie in the sky. It's not something when after you die, but it is something the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is presently now available. And so you can change, if you can change the way you think, then you can have access to all of the benefits of this kingdom of heaven when not when we die but the here and the now and John the Baptist will introduce the king of the kingdom right there in the middle of the desert a highway from God was about to be opened an avenue from God to get to his people and his people to get to their God it was a the prophet that of the centuries had declared the kingdom is coming a messiah from a royal seed he he's a seed of david that is coming and salvation and deliverance is with him he, and he would establish an everlasting kingdom right and now john's voice like the sound of a great trumpet would declare behold the lamb of god that takes away the sins of the world hallelujah the king of the kingdom has now arrived the king has come and heaven was about to be invading begin to invade the earth and there would be a new government established in the earth or introduced in the earth for us to live by. It was a massive paradigm shift. It was, it was the beginning of an announcement that the kingdom is now and the king is in fact here, right? And citizenship is being offered to those who 
uh, enter through a born again experience. How can I be born? How can I enter the kingdom? He said, John, you must be born again, right? In other words, you have to repent. You have to change your mind. You have to think about things differently. And we must remember that the audience that Jesus was speaking to, these men, especially in these four Gospels, primarily was the Jews, right? That was his audience. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are in the New Testament. But remember, they are still under an old covenant because the sacrifice of Jesus was not yet given. And it wasn't yet offered. And these were people, for the most part, that could quote entire books. They knew the law. They knew the prophets. And they had an in-depth understanding of all the, uh, uh, the, how the prophecies were, how, the, how the, all of that concerning of the gospels, or not the gospels, but the books, and the law was written, they, they had all of that, but they did not understand this new kingdom covenant, this mindset of the new covenant. And yet somehow with all of the knowledge of the old covenant, because how many know that in the old covenant it is pointing to the new covenant? And yet even though they knew all of this when the new covenant came, and the new covenant showed up, they didn't want to be a part of it. Because it was a great paradigm shift. They missed the coming of their king and his kingdom because they didn't come in the fashion in which they were expecting it to come. I'm concerned that the church may many times be guilty of the same thing. But God is not obligated to fit into our preconceived idea of who he is or how he's going to work. He's God. So we can't, let, we can't miss this present reality, and that is this, that he is Emmanuel, God with us. He's in us, and he's through us. He's not just a king coming. He is my king right now. Amen. He is presently reigning. He's not going to reign someday. He is presently reigning. He is presently king of kings and lord of lords. He is presently setting upon his throne high and lifted up. And his train is now filling the temple. It isn't something that's going to happen in future tense. It is something that is happening now. He is now my king. He is now my lord. And because he wasn't born in a palace but rather a lonely stable. It seemingly, it came from obscurity, from a common man, right? He didn't fit into their preconceived idea of how the Messiah was supposed to come. And so they were looking for someone to come and to lead them in an insurrection against the Roman government and to restore them back to the glory days of King David. They thought that this is a man, this was, he was going to ride in on a white stallion and he was going to be a great warrior. And they were looking for all of this. Whenever he came, he came, as you know, wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. Amen. 
The first time he came, he came looking like us. But the next time he comes, we're going to be looking like him. He's going to show himself strong and mighty, but we have to embrace this paradigm shift that is taking place all the way back in John's day. And they wanted someone that would come in and pull the sword and the spears and deliver them from the oppressor. And while they are looking for an external kingdom and an external political system or power or a natural manifestation, something far greater was being introduced to them that they could not comprehend. Something of eternal value was coming from the spiritual dimension that they, they would not, uh, it, it wouldn't be a government, it would not be from, from the outside in, but it would be from the inside out. The nature of his kingdom was primarily spiritual and its source was from heaven. And from that moment of his birth until this world uh, and heaven began to invade the earth, we see that that's what Jesus was doing. And John here in chapter, John chapter 18 and verse 36, this is what Jesus said. Jesus answered, he said, the kingdom is not for this world. If meant, uh, my kingdom were for this world, then it would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou the king? And Jesus answered and said, That I am the king. To this end I was born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth, everyone that is of the truth, hearing my voice. Amen. So heaven is about to invade the earth. John's message was much bigger than just needing to get saved. You must get saved. But it was bigger than just getting saved. And then one day, living a miserable life for some 70 or 80 years, right? And then here on earth, and then one day going to heaven. Heaven, of course, is part of the package. I'm not saying there is no heaven. I believe that there is a heaven. It contains those who have died in the faith. I believe my father is there tonight. I'm saying, though, that we live far below our privileges and rights as citizens of the kingdom of God right now because we are waiting on some glad morning in the sweet by and by when we need to understand we can enjoy it in the here and the now. If you are a born-again child of God, you don't have to wait to enjoy this journey. You can enjoy it right now. After all, this message is about restitution and redemption. It's more than just getting a ticket to heaven when you die. It's, it's, a, it's about redeeming. It's about restoring something. It's about you understanding that, that you are being restored back to the original state of what God created you to be. 
Let's, let's look at this verse here in, the, in Genesis. I, I want to look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 6 through 8. Genesis 1, 6 through 8. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament and it was so and God called the firmament heaven and then even and the evening and the morning were the second day the waters which were above the firmament hanging over uh, this was called what we call the clouds the water which is under the firmament that gathers is what we call the sea, the oceans, the lakes, the rivers. So that the firmament which water was above and water was beneath is where we are at right now. I think that it would be really safe to say that we're standing in the firmament right now. This verse 8 says that God called where we are standing the firmament, heaven. So in the original, heaven was not a distant planet three miles over from Mars. It was between above the water beneath and under the water above. And so that's where we're at right now. It's what we're standing on. Before the fall, they were not separated. Heaven and earth were integrated. They were merged together. And no wonder Jesus would pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He was praying for the restitution. He was saying, redeem fallen creation and Jesus was ultimately becoming the interface between both realms to bring them back together. Jesus would be the interface or the interconnection to connect heaven and earth together. The visible and the invisible. The human and the divine. The merging between man and himself. And so Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 10 said that in the dispensations of the fullness of time, he might gather together, together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in earth, even in him. So I think about the incredible fact that the first Adam, man Adam, both these realms existed, Right? Both of these realms, heaven and earth, existed in Adam. He had the best of both worlds, the natural realm and the spiritual realm. He had the human realm and yet the divine. He had the invisible as well as the visible. So much, so much that when you read the book of Genesis, it makes you wonder, was this man in the garden or was this garden in the man? Amen. It could have been both. 
Because on the morning of the sixth day, while the angels were creating an environment of worship and praise, God was creating a visible realm where everything he had in the invisible realm would now be able to be seen in the natural realm. Amen. He was preparing all of this. Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. For the invisible things of him from creation, talking about what we looked at in Genesis, of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. On the morning of the sixth day, God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And what did he do? I've told you before, he was from West Virginia. This is where God created man. Amen. How do I know that? Because he was made from red clay. Amen. All these other states think they got it going on. This is where it all started, baby. Amen. What did he do when he said, let us make man our own image? He reached down into the red clay and picked him up a handful of red clay. And like the great potter began to shape his image and his likeness into the red clay of the earth. And yes, the first Adam was made from the red clay of the earth because he had access to the earth. This blue ball called the earth. Yet God was not finished with him. For about that split second in time, God ascended into the deepest realm of the spirit and he began to breathe into his lungs the spirit realm. And then he comes into Adam and he breathes into Adam's nostrils this interface of two realms where that he would understand spirit and soul, where that he would understand the eternal and yet the natural realm. This red clay of earth is breathed into from the spirit of heaven and he had an interface that was married to both realms. Heaven and earth were located in the same place where was it? In the man that God had created. So much so that Adam was to this blue ball called earth what God was to the invisible realm called heaven. Are you walking with me? God trusted him, Adam, with everything. Just like God was in control of heaven, he gave Adam control of this earth. And he said, now I created it all, you name it. Right? And he gave him dominion over all the things of the earth. So that he had authority, he had power, he had dominion over everything. Right? Over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, over every creeping thing. He has given him dominion and authority. And so Adam knew angels were by their name. He called them Gabriel. Huh? 
He knew them. Why? How did Adam know the angels by their name when he was a human in the earth? Because he wasn't just a human in the earth. He was an interface of both worlds. He had the God in him, but he had the man in him. So he could be able to have this authority in the earth and in the heavens. And he was vitally connected to the divine life source that flowed uninterruptedly by the union that was with God. And he walked with God in the cool of the day. Can you imagine that? The divine supply was everywhere. He was blessed to be a blessing. He, he, his mandate was to have dominion and subdue the earth, be fruitful, be multiply, and replenish the earth. And of course, you know the rest of the story. The serpent crawled into the picture. And when he crawled into the picture, he came into the picture with a performance-based religious idea. And he says to the man and to the woman, the moment that you get enough information about good and evil, you can make yourself like God. What Adam should have said is, I'm already like him. I'm already like God. Get out of my face. Crawl on away from here. But instead, he becomes the first victim of identity theft. He disconnected from the divine source of life, right? And everything in creation from there on was affected by this disconnect from heaven. But that's not the end of the story. When God decided to bring restoration and renewal, his his and his dominion mandate, he released into the kingdom of heaven back into the earth and it would be a force upon man, if you will, or a fact that man could yet accomplish it again, I should say. It was now available to him once again. And so that's why that he came by, through and by Jesus Christ. Isaiah the prophet said, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. He said in chapter 9, For unto us a child was born, and unto us a son was given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the increase of his government, and the peace there shall be no end, and the peace shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice and henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts shall perform this. So God would choose the lowliest of a young virgin by the name of Mary and place the seed of the divine in her womb and overshadow her by the Holy Spirit. And one more time, human and divine would come back together. 
Do you see it? The visible and the invisible, heaven and earth, would once more interface and reconnect in the person of a man by the name of Jesus. He would be very God and he would be very man. In fact, I believe that I'm very safe in saying he was a hundred percent man and a hundred percent God at the same time. Both human and divine. And once more, God would have a man in the earth who would continue to, original, to bring forth his original design or mandate. Heaven was once more invading the earth, so much so that Jesus says, uh, would say in John 3 and 13, And no man hath ascended into heaven, but he that cometh down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son made of woman and made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive adoption of sons. The first Adam was told to multiply and replenish the earth after his kind. And for 4,000 years, he reproduced fallen humanity. Now the last Adam, the firstborn of a brand new creation. Because of what Jesus did in his uh, redemptive work, God now has a family of sons and daughters in the earth. He now has a royal family reunited with dominion and a mandate of fulfilling what God has asked us to do from the very beginning and gave us the authority through the power of the Holy Ghost. That we are to be dispensers of the kingdom of heaven and to fill the earth with his government, with heaven's influence, with heaven's resources. Amen. Adam became the gate of hell and released hell and death upon the planet of fallen man. But Jesus came and became the gate of heaven where angels are ascending and descending upon the sons of man. Amen. He was Bethel. He was the house of God. Which is where God lived. He was the ladder that Jacob saw in his dream in Genesis chapter 28 when he let it down from heaven and there were angels ascending and descending into the throne of God. Amen? This is where God renewed the promise that he had with Abraham that he would give this land to his seed. So John was declaring in his message to the contemporaries of his day that if you can change the way you think and repent, then for the first time in 4,000 years, the kingdom of heaven is within your grasp. It's within reach. The interface between heaven and earth is now able to be reconnected the house in which God lived 
in Bethel no longer is a building, but it is now in his sons and his daughters. You are now the temple of God. The gates of heaven were about to spring open again. And the earth would be infiltrated with his glory and his goodness. You see, we, we have to understand that he was wanting to bring a communication from between heaven and earth. Where now there would be open and angels of God would ascend and descend upon the sons of man. And that's what he said in John 1 and 51. And he said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the sons of men. The straight gate which leads to life was about to open through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 10, I am the door, right? And besides me, there's no other way in. He said, I am the door of the sheep gate. And anyone that enters in another way, some other way, is the same as a thief and a robber, right? John 10 and 10. The broad way that may try many tried to enter into, he said, everything else that tries to come in is the same as a thief and a robber. It's not of me. Jesus said that, every, that the very thing that comes that way is always coming to steal something from you. Wow. But he said, but I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That's not just a ticket to heaven one day. That's abundant life every day. That's living in the level of, of knowing his goodness, his grace, and his authority each and every day of our lives. And so I have a question for you tonight. Is it possible that the broad way that leads to destruction is human performance, sweat, labor, trying to make it through the law and the Mosaic covenant? Could it be that this religious system that was about to fade away was the way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof led to death? Perhaps the straight gate is not what we thought. I'm just asking questions. Something for you to consider. Many have preached that straight gate as all the rule keeping of the old covenant. You had to keep all of these rules and that's the straight gate. And you had to keep all of that and only a few of the holiest would make it in. However, the scripture declares in Romans chapter 2 and chapter 3 that the end of the law, there is none righteous, no, not one. I think Jesus said that our righteousness is as filthy rags. So if the straight gate is the law of the Mosaic system, then nobody, including Moses, can get through the straight gate. 
When we remember that Jesus is the door into the sheepfold and that he is, in fact, the gate of heaven by which we must all enter in through, then no longer do we see it as impossible or hard to live the abundant life because now it is simply through faith in Jesus Christ huh, that I have access into the straight gate. Then who were the few that find it in life? It was not humanity in general. Jesus was not just saying there's only a couple of people that's going to be saved. He said that my harvest is as the stars of the heavens. He said, if you want to see my family, he said, go count the sands on the seashore. So it isn't something that there's just going to be a few people get into heaven. Huh? He desires that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. Change your mind. That's the reason Jesus came. And we must remember that the audience that Jesus was speaking to was primarily Jewish. He was saying to these Jews that were rejecting this new way of entering into God's kingdom through Jesus, their Messiah, that there's only going to be a just remnant, a few of you that will be able to change your mind and accept this Jesus as your Savior. He wasn't talking to the world. He was talking to a religious Jewish system that said, you will not be able just a remnant, just a few are going to enter, be able to go through this door, put your faith in Jesus Christ. You see, that whole system of the law was about to end in destruction. And it did not produce life. If there was a commandment that could have brought life, then there would have been righteousness through the law. Is it possible, is it possible that the thief of John 10 is not talking about the devil, but talking about a man trying to reach God through his works and his labor and through his old covenant system of performance? If the devil is not involved at all in this text, it is because he, or if he is involved at all, it's because he used the weapon of the law to try to get the handwritten ordinance so that he could become the accuser of the brethren. Because all of us, if, if, if we were getting there on the law, none of us are making it. Amen. How powerful the words of John the Baptist in John chapter 3. How, how it should have rung in the ears of those Jewish audience when he declared, Repent, which means change your mind. Rethink this thing. It's been good till now, but now there's a paradigm shift. Repent. Change your mind. The kingdom of God is within reach. Right? 
All of their lives they thought it was without reach. All of their lives they thought it was impossible. All their lives they thought it was way out there somewhere. But now John says, don't you see Jesus has come. This king, of, king is on his, in his kingdom. And now because he has come, it, it, the kingdom is within reach. You can grab hold of it now. When we stop depending on our own human ability and start trusting in the indwelling the Holy Spirit to do the work in us, the abundant life is the result of what God has for us. I believe that one of the greatest things that was needed both then and now is not just repentance from sin. I believe that it is the mo one of the most important things then and now. Yes, we have to repent of our sins, so don't twist my words. But one of the most important things now and then would have been repentance from dead works, according to Hebrews chapter 6. That would probably be the biggest altar call the world has ever known. Because people love to think that we've been justified through our dead works. But I'm convinced it is easier to get people delivered from substance abuse than it is to get them delivered from a religious spirit. Amen. And I, I'm thankful for, you know, substance rehab. But I think we may need to start some religious rehab centers. Amen. Can you imagine how difficult it would have been for them to make this transition? Before we start pointing fingers and, 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 you know, and being too tough on them, think about it. This was the, everything they ever knew. This was everything they had ever been taught. And while standing on the banks of the Jordan River, that day when John gave this profound message, he said, I want you to change today what you've been doing for 1,500 years. Huh? We've been doing it this way for 1,500 years. And a man shows up, Josh, in a leather girdle, eating locusts and wild honey, and says, you need to change your mind because the kingdom is now within reach. You need to change the way you've been doing things. Huh? I wonder what my response would have been on that day. Granddaddy taught me it. My dad taught me it. That's all I've ever known. And now there's this new covenant called grace. Jesus has come and John puts this mandate on me. Today, you got to change your mind. It would have been tough. But here's the tragedy of it. We're 2,000 years into this new covenant and still so many haven't repented. Still, so many haven't changed their mind. 
At best today, at best today, the church is still a mixture of two covenants. When you mention the kingdom of God, most people think you're talking about heaven. The millennial reign. Somewhere in a far distant future. Once again, while I don't believe that there, I, excuse me, I do believe that there is a literal heaven that contains the saints and there is a great, great cloud of witnesses. So I don't want anybody here tonight or anybody listening to twist my words. I believe that the kingdom of heaven is also a present reality now. Amen. And I believe the moment that I was born again, I was translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. Amen. The only difference in the kingdom of, you, you see these two, the kingdom of heaven and the only difference that you can note between the two difference of the kingdom of heaven is was talking about where it is from, its source. And when it is talking about the kingdom of God, it's talking about who runs it. Right? And when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he, he said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 10, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the gospel is not just about how to get to heaven someday. It is about how to get what's happening there to operate right here. It is about God connecting the interface, watch this, once again, and rejoining as he did in the beginning and rejoining as he did when he sent Jesus to rejoin and to have that interface where heaven and earth are connected again, giving us access through the one man, Jesus Christ. And when Jesus walked the planet, he demonstrated what the kingdom was to look like. Healed the sick, raised the dead, cast out devils, delivered the oppressed. He said, by the finger of God, I'm doing this. And of the kingdom of God shall come unto you. The gospel's about redemption. It's about restoration of fallen humanity. It is about putting us back to what we were supposed to be in the fallen Adam. And although this restoration and restitution will exclude the serpent and there will be the tree of knowledge or not the, there will not be the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Because in Genesis, in the account of Genesis, God's creation, it included the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the serpent. But in the book of Revelation, the, it's, it ends in the garden, and the only tree that is in the garden is the tree of life, and there is no serpent. Amen? Just think about that. God's original intention for us was to live in paradise with no rules, in a loving relationship with God, who was our everything, right? Right? 
our divine supplier of everything that we needed, our life and godliness in a garden, and somehow the serpent deceived humanity into thinking there was a better way than that. <laughs> and no wonder the Apostle Paul declared in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3, but I fear lest, least by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through this uh, subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus. I'm concerned tonight that we've moved away from the simplicity of the gospel. The simplicity of the gospel that works. And we have taken on another gospel. It's really not another gospel. It's an imitation. <laughs> it was leaven of the Pharisees. It was the mixture of the law and grace that came through Judaism. Who came as messengers of light and righteousness. But there is a message of righteousness was the old covenant. Righteousness based on knowledge of good and evil. But here in the new covenant, righteousness is not based upon the, all of that good and evil. It is based upon the sacrifice of Jesus. And it has been given to every believer as a gift, a free gift. And because of his abundant grace and his gift of righteousness, we can reign in life and enjoy what he has for us. Amen. That's what I got for you tonight. My time is gone.